0: Hi, I'm Amanda, and I have the Cadillac of air fryers. And I'm Katie, and I can't read fairy books because the scaling confuses me. And this is Spell Slots, a tabletop discussion podcast. And welcome back. We're back, guys. Howdy, Um, everyone. Hello. Hello. This is... Uh, another episode in our series of 5th edition D&D Back, back to Basics. Uh, so Katie and I, are your hosts, uh, normally we pick a topic in the tabletop world and we discuss it. However, this is part of a series where we're going over um, the, the aspects of playing D&D in 5th edition, obviously, not in any of the other editions, um, it, it, to give it uh, kind of like a beginner's uh, intro into some of the concepts and ideas and uh yeah. So this week we're going over probably one of the most technical aspects of the system itself, which is combat. Amanda's uh, everybody... so excited.
1: I'm so excited. I love combat. I'm so, so nervous. Much. There's a lot of rules. I was reading through the player's handbook and I was like, oh I didn't know that was a thing.
0: I was I was I found a couple of really interesting little tidbits where I was like, oh okay. But then you know there are the tidbits where
1: I was like <laughs> grumpy (laughs) i've also noticed like i've been playing since like second edition and so sometimes i will give like a term to a mechanic that isn't in the handbook it's from an older edition i didn't realize that Like, i think flanking is a good example of it there's not like a flanking mechanic but i use that term a lot
0: it makes me mad there might be in like
1: some aspects but (laughs)
0: thumbs down (laughs) flanking rocks
1: I'm very excited for you to pull apart the mechanics and, and yell at where they could do better or they could build up more.
0: Okay. Before we get into our subject matter, a small moment. I do want to have my moment about flanking because I have an entire character build around
1: flanking. So that's why it hurts me. There's someone very angry. That's like flanking is a mechanic. It's just in a different chapter. And I'm like, that's fair. Tweet at me. It's like, all right, well, you know,
0: subscribe. You can tweet at us and subscribe and then you can get to tweet at us while looking at our beautiful faces uh (laughs) katie looks very cozy i am wearing my uh snorlax sweater that i got in la so i love
1: it subscribe it's because i keep my second floor of my house really cold and i'm like like really (laughs) stern about tell me about flanking amanda (laughs) Well, in systems that aren't 5th edition, when you can draw a straight
0: line between yourself and somebody else and there's an opponent in between you, you get bonuses. And in systems that are crunchy, like Pathfinder, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the baby Ruth, you know, Pathfinder one. It's very crunchy, kind of chewy gooey Anyways. I don't uh, think I've had a
1: baby Ruth since I was like 12. <laughs> We were talking at them at ye old day job the
0: other day and I was like, I I could go for one right now, but instead I went and bought Kit Kats and and Reese's cups. I like me a hundred grand. I too too like me a hundred (laughs) grand. Adventures,
1: obviously. We are all over the place tonight.
0: (laughs) But yeah, okay so do you want to start with like the first thing that happens then katie because i think we could definitely start with the procession of combat uh and the first thing that you do in the beginning of combat is roll initiative
1: roll initiative so the idea is a turn of combat lasts about six seconds in game um and the idea is that everyone's actions happen simultaneously but in reality if all party members are yelling what they want to do at once the gm's probably overwhelmed <laughs> and underpaid. <laughs> so so because Dungeons and Dragons is a turn-based system, you have to determine turn order. So, you roll a d20 and you add your dexterity mod to that plus whatever bonuses you get from like feats, say. Uh and then the result you get ranked in your turn order. Obviously, higher number goes sooner, smaller number goes later. Uh the DM will also roll for all of the enemies you're facing. Uh tip Typically not individual numbers. Like if you're facing 30 guys, you don't want to have 30 people on the turn order. So sometimes they'll see them lump them into categories, but if it's a big fight, it's at the GM's discretion, how many separate numbers they want to roll on initiative. Yeah. And, if it's, and
0: go ahead. I was going to say, if you're playing online, then you, so um, one of the systems we use to play it is Foundry and you can just click a button and it, it automatically organizes
1: them. And it's, it's, it's nice slick. for managing. I've seen it. Oh,
0: it's so slow.
1: If you tie, if players tie, uh, they can determine who they, who they want to go first. If the, and the DM determines any other contest for, for his monster and versus his, excuse me. Players will decide amongst, uh, ties on their side, who they want to go first. And the DM will determine any other contest.
0: I've seen in most games that I've played that, um, the players typically will go by whoever has the highest natural modifier, just to say, okay, well, you technically would have been first because you already have the higher like um, generic number, right? I've so if seen your the same the five thing. And a
1: one. I've seen the same thing, which makes me wonder if in an older edition that was the rule, because when I was rereading the players' handbook for this, I was like, oh, we always go by whoever has the higher decks. I had no idea that that was a a rule for the book from the book.
0: Yeah, I, I just I know that that's how we've always done it. Um, I'm not sure. I'm. It's probably I'll bet you $20. It's from 3.5. Because <laughs> I know it and uh, Pathfinder was like, hey, 3.5. We can make this better.
1: i like a de facto way but it also makes sense in fifth ed for for wizards to be like okay or wizards of the coast to be like what's what's a way we can simplify this what's a a necessary mechanic that we don't want people to keep track of and for it to be like turn order you know fuck it you already rolled a d20 you both got fours you both whatever you choose
0: (laughs) yeah fight it out to the death
1: (laughs) whoever's birthday is soonest Oh gosh. i played so. a board game once uh and i don't remember what game it was but the rule was like whoever the person that goes first is the person that like fights for it or like <laughs> wants it the most and i was like gearing up to like take someone down and everyone around me was like has more actualization than i do and they were like you could just have it katie
0: <laughs> no but we played okay We played a game that was your birthday first, actually. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure Curses is your birthday first. I want to say Apples to Apples is too. I'll betcha. But uh, yeah, so initiative is essentially how you determine who goes when. Um, So the nice, you know, it's an easy way for a DM to track who's going. And, you know, like Katie said, six second turns. Uh, A turn itself is composed of a couple of things. So you're going to have your standard action, your movement, um <clears throat> any bonus actions and the potential based on your class for a reaction um so not all reactions apply but you only typically get one per turn
1: technically all of those are only one per turn um reactions don't happen necessarily on your turn um but you get one of all four of those uh <laughs> in previous editions i know we keep citing other sources. we're like we're talking and we keep talking about other systems we played there was a way to like roll up or roll down so like action can become movement movement can become bonus um but i think that fifth ed balances it really well in which like you can take a your action to dash and go farther or um i, I just think it's a lot more straightforward and, and balanced and easier to learn I, I something i really like about fifth edition compared to like other systems i played that while it's still not like super simple not like racist where you just have like four stats um but it's simple enough that i think it's easy for new players to learn yeah i
0: absolutely agree with that um and you know e- ha- each part of a turn having its own very pointed like um attribute also again helps to just reinforce what each of them is for you mm-hmm. know so versus in other more complex systems, uh, knowing what you have and when you have, it can be frustrating. Um, I think that, you know, to carry on our conversation about systems that aren't fifth edition Pathfinder <laughs> second edition also saw an opportunity to simplify that by, uh, simply saying that you get three actions.
1: I like it. Yeah. I don't, I don't play Pathfinder, but I think I, I like it in theory. And That makes a lot it's, of sense. It makes it more exciting, different stuff you can do.
0: It's combat crack cocaine we'll talk about it in our second edition series
1: <laughs> well i've seen board games have the same mentality like you get to do three of any of the following on your turn so that that kind of linearizes it i think in order for fifth edition to be balanced the idea of you can do one attack and depending on like how that is for your class it kind of it's their approach to balancing yeah no i so, agree so your action can be one of like a dozen things yeah So <laughs> a lot but most commonly you're going to use it to attack (laughs) yes uh your attack is going to change a lot based off of your class um but at the very like surface level you're gonna roll make an attack roll which is a d20 plus your proficiency if you're proficient in the weapon you're using and your either strength mod or your dex mod depending on again the type of weapon you're using um, the result of all of that, you're going to tell the DMs. Say so you rolled a four, had a two for your proficiency, six, plus a two for your dex mod, eight. <laughs> you tell a DM, does an eight hit the whatever target you're trying to hit? Uh, and they'll either tell you yes or no. Dep- and uh, that'll be a versus the enemy's armor class. Again, Dungeons and Dragons has exceptions to everything the circumstance, the environment. But typically, it's your attack roll versus the enemy's AC. Uh, if you ex- if your result is higher than the enemy's AC, you hit it. You then roll damage. Uh, damage is determined by your weapon type. Um, some exceptions may apply. <laughs> Welcome to uh, turn-based uh, TTRPGs.
0: Exceptions will apply.
1: <laughs> I'm like, here's the general rule, but there's always shit. And like, I've got a magic weapon or my class does something special or I'm doing something weird. But typically... <laughs> In my experience. So then you want to roll your damage, uh, which the die you roll for your damage is determined by the weapon you use. So I think a dagger uses a d4. So you want to roll the d4 and then add your ability modifier, the same one you use for the attack. Typically it's attacker defense. Some exceptions may apply. So roll your d4. Let's say you get a four. Yeah, you you're plus two from earlier, you do six damage to the enemy.
0: Yes. All of that is. Accurate. <laughs> I'm glad. So, yeah, no. The one thing I like about fifth edition for new players is it is commonly known as a small number system. Um, and so with that being said, if you're just getting into tabletop, having a lot of modifiers and things to add on and things that have variables can be really frustrating to learn, Um, especially when you're just trying to understand the key concepts of a tabletop role play game. Um, So I think that's one of the things that notes the approachability of fifth edition is that it's a low number system. It's pretty easy, even as we're talking, you can continue to track damage as you're describing each thing. I'm using easy numbers.
1: It's always been four or two or a (laughs)
0: two. Yeah, I'm just thinking like my so in my second edition character right insert I have to do like three to four like prerequisite actions and there's a bunch of prerequisites but then I get like a base 28 something like that damage mm. upon a hit like I just get it
1: it's fun when you're yeah. rolling bigger numbers even if you're hitting the same frequency uh, but, but I agree with what you said you're adding there's less modifiers in fifth edition uh, so there's less things to keep track of and it's easier for a player to figure out, okay, I know what my dexterity modifier is. I know uh, I add two to everything if I'm good at it. I roll this d20. And so there's less steps and less numbers. So it's I think it's faster to digest. When I was relearning Dungeons and Dragons in college, I was learning 3.5. Uh, and I remember being kind of overwhelmed by like trying to figure out where all the numbers were admittedly, it wasn't starting from level one. So it was like at a disadvantage, but I I think fifth ed is a very good system to teach new, I I've said it earlier. It's very, it's not overly simple. Um, but it's simplified enough that it's, it's digestible.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, for all of the combat lacks, um, again it there was more that I found when we were doing research for this in the combat than I thought I was going to find I know that anytime that I have played fifth edition I have typically stuck to I think I'm pretty sure I've only ever played the fighter class because I
1: what a choice
0: <laughs> big dragon lady with sword big dragon lady with sword what 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 else is there not to love? Dragon Dragonborn are like almost exclusive to Fifth Edition in the path or in the um, role play games that I play. So it's like, all right, well I'm going to play a Dragonborn, and their base
1: stat is strength. And I, you know, I was texting a friend the other day, and they were like, what what type of cla- what type of races do you normally play? And I'm like, ah, oh, I t- lame maybe like Tieflings or humans. And they're like, why would you pick a human when you could be a big dragon boy? <laughs> exactly because there's no um
0: as a human as far as race goes you don't
1: take any disadvantages right it's easy because it's simple i don't have to be like do i have night vision do i get to cast this cantrip it's just it's just very vanilla (laughs) it's easy to jump into um, now, the one thing that
0: I do want to talk about is that when you're doing t- attacks, you have a difference between melee and range. And I think that's where we should definitely go next. Um, and so if, if this is your, your first experience with any sort of like rolling attack or anything, melee is going to be when you are within like uh, hand touching space, right? Um, now granted, exceptions may apply, including <laughs> weapons with reach, so um,
1: it's five you know. feet. Typically, if you imagine like a grid system, each square is five feet by five feet. So if you and your square are next to an enemy in his square, um, you're gonna be five feet apart. And so that's exactly. considered so you melee. give him a little boop. And then that's doubled with reach weapons. Exactly. So with
0: your melee, that's gonna be again, like I said, hand and body, whereas ranged attacks are initiated from outside of direct interaction with the target. Mm. Um, so those are gonna be your crossbows, your bows, um, can throw uh, a hand axe. Hand axe. I don't think I've ever seen anybody ever play with a hand axe. Oh, um, daggers, shuriken, if you're
1: getting into exotic
0: weapons, things like that. Um, Those are all going to come from range.
1: I see people throw a hand axe as like an afterthought. They're like, oh, I can't get over to it. I got this hand axe that was part of just, my beginner equipment. The yeah. adventurer's <laughs>
0: pack. <laughs> you know what, though? That thing has saved me so many times because it has rope in it. Buy the adventurer's pack.
1: You know when you're desperate and you're like shuffling through your 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 bag, trying to be like, "What can I do to contribute to the situation?" (laughs) I've got fifty feet of hemp and rope.
0: (laughs) The amount of times in low level campaigns, the question "Do you have rope?" has hindered us is more than I will ever admit on this podcast. It's a lot. (laughs) So buy
1: your (laughs) adventures, listeners. If you don't own rope, IRL. It's going to be like $7 at Harbor Freight. Go get yourself some.
0: Yes. Yes. We're not sponsored
1: by Harbor Freight, but Harbor Could Freight, you if imagine? you want to
0: Imagine. I'd, I'd rather be sponsored by Ace Hardware. I mean, I I have no opinions on hardware stores.
1: We don't Well, cuz there's not like a NB Hardware or bisexual hardware. I missed
0: the goat. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Ace Hardware it is. Also. I love your mug. Thank you. This is my $3 Target mug. I love it. Target sponsor us. Um, so it's a critical to note the difference there. Um, and the reason it's important to know the difference between melee and ranged is because the the two will have your underlying stat attached with them so typically you'll find in most um situations that a melee attack has the base stat of strength uh whereas the ranged attack will have dexterity and if you think exceptions may
1: apply some exceptions (laughs) may apply but if you think the rapier you can use dex. i want to say when you throw your hand axe it's strength uh rapier is a finesse weapon
0: and i could i could see that with the hand axe because you want it to stick um but essentially um if you think about it in reality melee weapons are strength because you're using your physical body um to be able to do the action right versus with range you're typically having to aim and you need a good dexterity to aim Um, so, you know, helping to kind of like link those two has always been something that's helped me to understand when trying to build like the, the combat feel for my character, like what I'm actually going for,
1: you know? That's a good point. Um, so ranged weapons will have, uh, range listed in their stats. Uh, typically there's two numbers, a smaller number and a larger number. (laughs) Um, the, your range goes up to the larger number, but if you exceed the smaller number, you're at disadvantage, which kind of makes sense, right? You can shoot something like 30 feet away, but if it's 60 feet away, you can, you might be able to hit it, but your chances are smaller. Um, likewise, if you're trying to shoot something in melee range, if it's like within five feet of you and it sees you and it's angry, you're also at disadvantage.
0: It's oh it's because you don't have enough space. That's what it is. You need the space to pull back. I'm like thinking about it I'm like why is you that? You shoot
1: someone point blank it seems really cool. Like if like a handgun that that seems epic, but with a bow you're like th- there's not enough momentum for the arrow to build. I assume I haven't done archery since girl scout camp.
0: I did archery at a run fair one time.
1: <laughs> my my grandfather was a bow hunter. Uh, so, we'll, what? most of the time when I go visit him as a child, we'd go out in the back and he'd break out the kid's bone. We'd shoot arrows into like a stack of hay. Katie,
0: did you know My your I grandfather have... was a ranger? It's like he was a ranger. Did he also commune in the woods? <laughs> no,
1: he was a barber. Grandpa, if you're he listening, I have barber. a lot of fond memories. <laughs> with that you okay i'm, I'm good i'm good These just some weird over. tangents we're
0: going on it's fine it's all a journey we're here to take a journey um but one of the most exciting things about when you do roll your attack um is the potential for a critical right um so a critical it can be a hit or a miss so correct me if I'm wrong, but fifth edition is in fact, uh, a single confirmation system. So what that means, um, dear listener is that you do not have to roll a secondary time to confirm that it was a critical hit. Correct. You roll once, uh, if it's a 20, it's a critical.
1: I want to say that it's not an auto pass for skill checks, but for combat it, it is a 20 will always hit and always be a critical. And a one on a D20 will always be a a miss, regardless of modifiers and AC.
0: Exactly. Um, Now, the one thing I do want to ask you is that with automatic misses, so your natural ones, um, Mm. in your experience, I've seen DMs flavor it. And then also I've seen where classes have effects to critical misses. Um, I just kind of wanted to see like what your experiences have been f- for that. If there are classes that have things like in Pathfinder first edition, if you critically miss with a gunslinger, your gun jams. And you have uh, to spend, you know, X amount of whatever to get it unjammed.
1: I want to say halflings get a racial ability called lucky. Uh, and then you can also take lucky as a feat that anytime you roll a one, you can re-roll it. Um, I don't remember if that has to be recharged after, wish after, like a long rest or something um i have i have played systems that if you crit fail something bad happens fifth edition combat doesn't have that um which i i think i don't want to say i like um but i don't it doesn't add insult to injury you know on top of being like great i just wasted my turn on bad luck now i have to spend my next turn unjamming my weapon or picking up my pulling my sword out of the rock uh but I have seen GM's flavor at such sometimes with or without mechanical Im- influences depending on the situation um and in that case I've seen it done elegantly and I've seen it done poorly <laughs> now keep in mind if I if I if I crit fail I'm mad already <laughs> yeah right so so I'm gonna be slightly negative towards anything that happens But uh, both for combat and for skills, I've had DMs of yore be like, oh, you got distracted by a butterfly and be like, bitch, I'm level seven. Like, I'm not distracted by a butterfly. I just fucking missed. You can say I fucking missed. (laughs)
0: I'm sorry. I can't help but think about that Mamaru meme. (laughs) Is this a critical miss?
1: (laughs) But then I've also had like um dms be able to weave it in and like really beautiful storytelling right like it's everything's really tense you go to shove your sword through him um but you but you 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 missed he dodges out of the way and is able to like move over here or you like impale your your sword into a tree and now you're you're stressed because you're trying to get it out but the enemy's looming um i don't think you need to have a mechanical um issue or uh, a mechanical change because of the mist to make it epic uh and i think because it's not built in and because combat always feels hard even if it's not hard i don't like the idea of just sprinkling it in just because yeah so there's there's content for pathfinder
0: they're called the they're like these critical decks um and they're completely optional but there's a critical hit and a critical miss deck. And it's kind Ooh. of like the deck of many things for the D20. So one time we had somebody critically miss and his head exploded.
1: Whoa. I think it would be fun if everyone agreed up front yeah. to be like, Oh, hey, we were, we're going to we were these, all good like, with it. OK, yeah. but I, but I think it would be fun. Be like, yeah. oh, shit, she crit, she crit hit. Like what what weird effects going to happen? And yeah. I've played other systems that are very similar. Like you can spin the roulette now that because something happened. Um, so I'm not, I'm not fundamentally opposed. Um, but I think I want it to be done with intent.
0: Um,
1: yeah. and when it's not done with intent, it feels like it's just adding salt to the wound. Like, I know I missed. we don't need to spend more time talking about my fuck up. Let's move on. Yeah. I should have easily,
0: I should have easily hit this. Can we please move on? My feelings are hurt. I get really,
1: <laughs> I don't want to dwell alive. on my fuck up anymore than I have to. <laughs>
0: We're going to have a podcast confession. I get really butthurt when I miss. I get really
1: butthurt. Because I, I build characters to hit. <laughs> I was playing a one-shot, this is a couple months ago, with a group I, I've played with before but haven't played with recently. And I was rolling very poorly. I wasn't hitting. Um, And I made a conscious effort, I made a conscious decision to not complain about my dice rolls, Um, because I've seen a lot of players be like, ah, fuck, I can't hit anything tonight. And um, I don't watch a lot of D&D games, but I had watched one recently where one of the players was percept their perception of their roles where they were rolling really bad. And I as the viewer were like, it's not that bad. Like you hit that time, you did that. But their perception was they were doing poorly. and so I kind of remembered that moment and I was like I don't want to I don't want everyone to walk away from this game being like Katie complained about their roles the whole time so I made a conscious effort to be like that's not who I am tonight and at some point someone goes you're just rolling like trash and I was like yeah (laughs) they're like why didn't you say anything and I was like I didn't want to bring everyone else down like you all are having
0: a good time (laughs) right I'm okay. I am by all means. I believe in dice jail. Sometimes the dice they're just not with you, and you need to remind them that you have an entire box of other dice that you can use <laughs> several boxes. I've we have we have a criminal amount of dice. I've bought dice for every single character I've ever played, including the one shots.
1: I love it. Yes, I, I you know, I, I do feel that i personally tend to roll lower compared to the people around me but i'm also aware that like those misses are going to leave more of an impact than your hits and also when you're lower level you get less attack so if like you miss you gotta wait till it goes around the table and comes back to you um (laughs) so sometimes i'll switch dice but more often i will change how i'm rolling my dice on the off chance that i've built some like weird muscle memory you know so yeah. um, maybe in those times when I'm getting frustrated, I'll make sure to have a dice tower with me. So I plink, it, plink the dice in the top and let it fall down on its own. I love or dice if I'm rolling towers. with my... <laughs> or if I'm... They always take up room on the table, though, so I don't like to just use them all willy-nilly. Not... <laughs> take up space. <laughs> or... <laughs> or instead of rolling with my right hand, maybe I'll roll with my left or like I'll roll with a cup. like, And maybe it's superstition, but at least it tells me that I'm trying to... Choose a different seed to determine my random number.
0: <laughs> Katie's trying to sow something different. <laughs> I have seeds germinating because all I can think about right now.
1: But. Seed is a computer science. I, I don't know if this is accurate. All of my friends that code are going to mm-hmm. be like, that's bullshit. But I remember in college, like the seed is how you like generate a random number in a, in a code. Ooh. Which is what I was trying to point at.
0: See, and I'm over here like, I have pole beans and summer squash and cucumbers germinating. I love it. Yes. Um, so from critical hit and critical miss, I think it's kind of, um, you know, we've rolled our attack, right? We've determined, mm-hmm. one, what type of attack to roll. Uh, two, we've figured out which, which stat goes with it. Uh, three, we've kind of talked a little bit about rolling for damage. Um, I think the next thing that we should probably kind of move on to is um, the damage
1: type, resistances, and vulnerability. Before we do that, um, something special happens when you critical hit. It's not just that it's a guarantee hit. You actually do more damage. (laughs) So remember an earlier example when we talked about a dagger having a a 1d4 was its damage die. Um, Whenever you crit, critical hit on something, you double, no, you add an additional damage die. So instead of rolling one D four, you roll two D four and then add the modifier. So you roll your two D four, you get a two and a four, you add those up six, add your modifier eight, add your, no, that's it eight. You do eight damage where in the previous example, you only did six.
0: I have feelings. This is an, I have feelings warning. (laughs) <laughs> I don't like that you don't double the modifiers. That's trash. That's, nope, you should, you should just, I personally, even when I play fifth edition, I will always volley the D the GM to, to house rule that you just simply double the number, I've whatever played... it is that you roll times two
1: or roll in... twice on the dice. I, you know, in past, I want to say in past systems, you didn't in- increase the damage die, you doubled the damage. So instead of, uh, rolling 2d4 plus your mod you would roll one D four plus your mod and then multiply all of that by two. I understand that fifth edition's simplicity is just increase the die. And I kind of like that, especially if you're like your damage die is like two D six or something weird already. And so you just like add another one to your handful of dice that you shake and roll on the table, even if it results in less damage, uh, there's something exciting about, I feel like this is going to make a, a bigger impact
0: i know but i want my modifier again i already did the cool thing i already hit the best i could i want my modifier again i don't you I don't always you get your modifier when girl. you make you don't always get your modifier on damage for spells though in second edition pathfinder you do <laughs> you just you want big numbers amanda I, do.
1: I like them big i like them chunky you like them crunchy chunky. and
0: this this is why 5th edition is such a struggle for me because I'm a big numbers person. I like them big. I like to hit the button on my iPad or on my computer and for it to be in the 3 digits when I roll them a damage why, for my epic level character.
1: Why do you play 5th? I know you don't play 5th edition normally. You're Pathfinder. We've made that very clear. But why have you played 5th edition then if you know that you prefer Pathfinder? So
0: we started fifth edition, we, we transferred over from Pathfinder to fifth edition when it started to really get big um, okay. right after the release um, to give it a shot. Cause we'd never played it before. And it was simpler. I will say that foundationally, my understanding of tabletop has highly benefited from playing a, a fifth edition campaign. Right. Because okay. I was able to take all of the The, this, that is pathfinder, like I made a character for, it was my second pathfinder character. It was a druid. Uh, they were a druid, I should say. And let me tell you, it took me hours to build that character. And I wanted to have a meltdown through a lot of it. My significant other had to drag me through the process. So when we transitioned over from pathfinder to fifth edition, I was able to take a step back from all of the oh crunchy, crunchy and like get some key concepts. Now, when I find myself playing fifth edition, more often than not, uh, it's because the GM that I'm playing with prefers the system and I love them and I will play anything. It's probably easier on a GM
1: when you're not having to keep track of so many things. Yeah, You
0: know, I, I've GMed fifth edition. It is easier. (laughs) I will say that,
1: but. um, So it's worth the play, even if you don't stick around with it, just to build up that foundation.
0: I mean, it's, it's a really easy to pick up system. Like Mm. we can pick up a game, a module in fifth edition easily. It's not something where it takes me 900 years to remember how each set of rules to works. I can just Google it real fast. If I need it, I have my GM and several other players around me who are kind of more of our subject matter experts
1: on the system. You don't have to commit as much as, as you have to commit to like learning Pathfinder. That makes sense
0: exactly so like we did um we right at the beginning of the pandemic we had this like it was like an experimental thing where we would do uh each of us would gm every third week okay so and then my significant my significant other and i um we were gming in the same pathfinder second edition campaign and uh we had this uh like concept that it was like uh the world was shattered and each week they would have to find a piece of a soul gem <laughs> in yasha um in order to get back to their world or whatever so that um, was
1: episodic enough that you could keep passing the baton
0: yeah and then like we the 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 minds of Phil philand, philand it's there's a phil and there's a v in there and there's a rl somewhere philandrel like the
1: elf king from the witcher
0: no that's not it it's a it's a one of the basic fifth edition models we ran that one it was the okay. minds of for, for, for phil the minds of phil absolutely not to be confused with the minds of moria
1: but, yeah so there's different types of damage yes. probably don't How's double that for on a, a transition
0: they probably don't double on a critical because they're a modifier uh so Ignore damage me. types
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> damage types um more often than not are just like flavor text for how your attack happens um it your weapon will specify what type of damage it does whether it's like uh bludgeoning or if it's piercing um also like spells or special attacks like uh all monsters they all have some sort of adjective to it Uh, like acid attacks, piercing, I mentioned earlier, psychic, radiant, a lot of paladin abilities gets radiant, force. Um, so it, it serves a couple of purposes. One, it flavors the, the, the hit a lot better. You don't just say, I damage it. You're like, oh, it burns away at the enemy. Or you can like see lightning crackle down its skin. Um, But there's also resistances and vulnerabilities, which I feel like fifth edition doesn't do as strongly as other systems of, of Um, but, uh, resistance you take half damage if you're resistant to that damage type and vulnerability, I want to say you take double, yeah, you take double. Uh, so it's always worth specifying to your DM what type of damage you do on the off chance that it does do double or half damage, especially like if you're not metagaming, you shouldn't know what the monster's weak to. Uh, so you kind of have to leave that up to your DM.
0: Yeah, amanda it's...
1: you told me to ask you about something on this topic that you had feelings about
0: oh i mean i always have feelings about damage types and well it's resistances is what it is um, pathfinder has something called spell resistance um and i think it's a really neat mechanic um that you don't see until you get into higher levels um and this is one of the things that fifth edition i think again is like your starter
1: ttrpg and Monsters you know, have spell resistance in fifth edition we learned that in our monster episode but it's not it's nothing players get it's like a really high level ability
0: yeah players get it in pathfinder (laughs) it feels
1: broken to me
0: it feels so good when you're like oh yeah i'll make a caster level check oh you failed it goodbye spell slot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, I, I like I like the additional crunch, right? But here's what I can say that I think is really good about fifth edition is the simple having or doubling of the the resistance and vulnerability. Um, when it comes down to having to make additional checks, things like that, uh, and then having to compute how it actually affects the role, I think simplifying that was a really good call on Wizards's behalf, because it means that you're already at a high level, right? If you're dealing with resistances and vulnerabilities, you're probably at a higher to mid-level, um, uh, or you're a so like you, right? <laughs> right. Um, but you end up with a much easier, again, way to, uh, essentially express the, the vulnerability or, um, or resistance in combat and again it allows the
1: the mechanic to maintain without it being overwhelming overcomplicated. it's a it's it's a simplified way to apply it which i guess has been the running theme in fifth edition
0: yeah and i mean i'm not gonna lie the first time i ran into spell resistance i was pissed i was (laughs) mad i was like are you telling me i just wasted one of my highest level spell slots and my gm said i'm telling you yes unfortunately you did not pass the check and Uh... i was big mad about it but that's okay. It's a learning thing. And again, I can see where for 5th edition, like, you know, it, it, especially not giving it to players means that you're going to have it come up less. And having it come up less means less roles for, less complex roles for trying to achieve combat, which, Leslie said at the beginning, combat is one of the most technical things you can do in d d Like, I was thinking about it before we recorded. Um, you think you know your character until you get to that first initiative
1: <laughs> you're like i don't even know where this is i don't know what my abilities are i yeah. i will say i don't see resistances and vulnerabilities come up often um part of that's probably me not having the monster compendium memorized uh, so maybe they're there and i don't know about it um but more often than not i just i just play my character as if they don't exist but i always specify it in ca- on the off chance it does plus like from a
0: non-meta position if you do specify it and your GM gets to add like some really cool flavor to it. Like say you're dealing with something that's, I'm assuming Infernal, if you're a Paladin, right? And you do really radiant damage and you're dealing with a demon and you watch them like
1: shrink away (laughs) in black smoke. The last one shot I did, I was dealing a shit ton of radiant damage as a Paladin to a monster that I was vulnerable to it and never before have I felt like a God. (laughs) Yeah, like, hold on, let me hit you with my glitter pack. I put all of my spell slots into smite. And with Paladin, I I don't know if it's a specific level, you you smite once it's a confirmed hit. You don't just say, I smite, and then you miss. So I swung, hit, and then just poured all of my spell slots into smiting it. Yes,
0: and isn't it so much fun, though? Because you're like, ha, enjoy it and it was still like a
1: difficult fight it wasn't just like i booped it and it died but oh it was such a fun feeling (laughs) yeah yeah and like so when you get
0: into games where you're in like those sorts of situations where it really works in your favor you're like man this is this 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 right here yeah that's why we're here and because it's fun but also like that's a good feeling like you said it's the first time you feel like a god the first time in pathfinder second edition i spell crit on i want to say it was chain lightning as a par, as part as part of a spell strike so i dimensional assaulted which means i moved within 25 feet of space because i have a baseline speed of 50. no i'm not explaining that listen to our pathfinder <laughs> second edition uh, one so i teleported 25 feet hit them with the sword crit on the hit with the sword and the chain lightning and got to hit everyone else because they were all within 30 feet it's like crack it's addiction (laughs) it's it's like msg that's what it is it's msg right there let me tell you just a little sprinkle of umami umami (laughs) hiya uncle roger for you for this evening (laughs) i put an entire entire head of garlic in something today
1: inside you god garlic's so good
0: my onion can we, soup can we take a break <laughs> yes uh with that being said uh now that we've said hiya i think we should take a break katie <laughs> So Katie, uh, I know where we left off. We were talking about some resistances, talking about differences between systems there. Um, And the next thing we wanted to cover was uh, a brief intro to spell casting. Uh, So dear listener, watcher, viewer, we will be going into a full episode on spell casting later on. But since this is the combat episode, we couldn't leave it on the wayside knowing how important it is to combat
1: um people are gonna gonna cast spells in combat (laughs) we'll leave the meat and potatoes for a future episode but at the the very least you need to know functionally how to cast a spell in combat
0: (sighs) we could um exactly oh by the way i had a character die from a spell cast it yeah it's the first time it's ever happened like straight up dead just now no yesterday or yes oh day. that's
1: why it's like fresh on your mind your character yeah. died are you yeah. okay
0: oh i'm fine we've got her back up but it was past constitution it was a ninth level spell
1: <clears throat> yeah when, when was... the dm's casting a spell in combat it scares the shit out of me because i don't know if it's gonna be like <laughs> fireball or if it's gonna be like I, I don't know one of those like you fail your save and you insta die spells oh power word kill <laughs> No,
0: <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was, a uh, uh, Meteor Swarm.
1: Meteor, no.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's a fifth edition version of it, but essentially it was like, I failed to save and it was like 17 D6. My character's max HP is 114. And I was at half and I was like, well, I'm dead. I'm going to play Pokemon now. <laughs> Let me know so- if one of you guys can revive me.
1: So there's two general types of spells that you're going to use in combat. Uh, Those that you make an attack roll and those that have saves tied to it. Uh, So spells that have attack rolls, I can't name any off the top of my head, but I know some exist. Maldritch Blast. I was like, what's the warlock one? Um, you, You roll your d20 like you would for like a melee attack and you add your modifier if appropriate. And you do that versus the enemy's AC, like a, like a a weapon style attack. Mm. Um, The main difference here is, of course, you're casting a spell that may or may not take a spell slot. Um, You don't add your modifier to the damage. Some exceptions may apply. The other type of spells are those with a a save tied to it. So that'll be a fixed uh, DC number, which is, you said difficulty check? Mm,
0: Yeah, difficulty check, difficulty class. I think they're interchangeable, honestly.
1: Yeah, I just say DC. You know know when people are like, oh, what's that acronym mean? And you've been using the acronym for so long that you have no idea what the meaning is.
0: (laughs) Somebody asked me what SLA means. And I was like, I can't tell you what those letters mean, but it means how long standardly have we decided does this action take? It's service level
1: agreement. I had to Google it, but yes. So with the spell save, it's gonna have a fixed DC that may or may not change with your with your character level. Um, and the enemies will have to roll uh, an ability check to see if they succumb to it or not. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you fail, you take the full damage. If you succeed, you take half damage. Uh, but those are nice because then you're not like uh rolling yourself, and it's up to the enemy and whatever their strengths and weaknesses are.
0: Yep. And as far as saves go, like, for me, I've always been kind of able to figure them out by what kind of spell it is, right? If it's a spell with a a physical effect that's going to be landing, it's most likely a reflex save. Uh, If it's a spell that is going to be from, like, enchantment, if it's going to, like, essentially, if it's going to affect my mind, it's going to be Will. Uh, And, or I guess uh, that would be Wisdom in the
1: System...
0: Yeah. Wisdom and will, right. I don't, I'm, I think I'm getting my, my, yes. my DC. The spell specifies,
1: in. um, the DC yep. to resist a spell is eight plus your spellcasting modifier, plus your proficiency bonus, plus anything else you might got going on.
0: Yep, exactly. And, and the spell itself at the end will tell you what class or sorry, what type of save that you need to do, um, from there. Not you,
1: the guy you're hitting.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Sorry. Uh, let me a get my cases... player hat on. I had my GM hat
1: on. <laughs> a lot of cases with spells, that have, spells uh, that have saving throws, they do like an AoE or they hit a bunch of people. And so I think that helps keep the flow of, of combat steadier too. You're not rolling mm-hmm. attacks against each enemy, um, but you have a flat number that everyone has to beat. And it makes a lot of sense in reverse too, if like a monster's attacking all the players, everyone has to make a constitution saving throw to resist being poisoned or something.
0: Exactly. Or, you know, a reflex save to avoid the ancient red dragon's fire breath.
1: The other thing I like about spells with saving throws is because it specifies what attribute is tied to it. If you're like in the heat of combat, you can start to work out enemies' play styles. You can kind of guesstimate what attribute they would be bad at. There's also yeah. other like abilities and spells that might give an en- uh, enemies disadvantage on specific saving throws so you can kind of uh strategize a little bit that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I was thinking I was actually just thinking about that when you were talking. Like if you have a big monster, more often than not monsters tend to be neutral unless there's something specific about them that makes them not neutral. And if they're not necessarily a very intelligent monster, well, then a save that's based on constitution is probably not a wise idea because they're probably pretty hardy because they're a big monster. So it takes a lot to move all that monster around, you know? (laughs) So they're pretty hardy. So, you know, whereas if they're not using words, they're more reacting to what the situation around them, they're not doing anything that would have to do with like a spell or anything like that. You can probably assume that, a spell that's going to affect their mind might have a better shot than a spell that's going to affect their body
1: i kind of look at it from um i guess maybe not monsters but people right if you're fighting a fighter you tend to know what attributes fighters like or if you're fighting a warlock you know what type of attributes warlocks you can kind of like play in and it's not sharp sure proof right um but it does help like add a layer of strategy and try to like fig like help you fight in battle
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like the type advantages a little bit in Pokemon, you know, Mm. like it gives you a little bit and it might not be the full info, but at the very least, you know, you got a pretty decent shot. Um, especially like when you get into like mid to higher level games it's good to know that stuff when you're using your higher level spell slots as a player because you don't want to
1: Oh, I hate using a high level spell. spell slot and then it misses or they pass or, that's that's or the they're completely other thing, unaffected by it
0: if it's that's a mind the control other spell thing I you love about it on
1: something undead hang that's, the on other, that's the other thing I love about saving throws is like um i as a spellcaster really fucking hate throwing away a high level spell slot like i use an attack and it misses it it's like all right great that was my turn i'll see you in 30 minutes um but with a saving throw a lot of them you still take half damage if if they pass and so even if you like like the the dice aren't in your favor you still did something
0: exactly yeah and so like again i think that the way that spells work in fifth edition i think it's a really smart way to do things um you know there's nothing more dissatisfying than casting like a spell like disintegrate and it not affecting the person oh yeah which is essential it's essentially a vodacadabra it's like a it's a jet of green light we know where you were going with this my but brain heard
1: abracadabra and then it referenced uh, that to earlier when you mentioned Pokemon. And then you were—I was like, "How do they disintegrate? They teleport!" <laughs> and I was just like, "I'm gone." <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out. You did the yeah. motion, but <laughs> I had to take a detour. <laughs> right?
0: Have you seen that trend on TikTok though? Yep. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> But yeah, so again, like I like that there's that like quick versatility as a spell, but it's quick versatility as a yeah. spellcaster stuff is already complicated enough. Right. It's fun. Like, it's fun. It's a good time, but there's some braining necessary.
1: <laughs> uh, the other other thing you need to be mindful of when you're casting spells in combat or casting spells in general is spell range. Um. Mm-hmm. So- a handful of spells require you to physically touch the opponent so that you have to be in melee in order to cast it um but even if it's not a touch spell there's still a range located there uh, so yep. you need to be within that range in order to hit the target
0: exactly yeah so oh um the only thing i wanted to ask you before we move on from spells uh, i know we talked about reactions or we're we're going to be kind of going into that um, in fifth edition, spells within melee
1: do they cause attack of attacks of opportunity so in fifth edition attack of opportunities aren't they're not not powerful but they don't trigger very often with some exceptions uh generally attacks of opportunity happen uh when you're trying to leave an en- uh leave melee range from an enemy um gotcha. you can use the disengage action to not provoke an attack of opportunity. But if uh, it happens, if you're in melee and you're trying to leave melee or if you enter and leave through your motion. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Just, you
0: know, experience from other systems. You have, you know, a whole nother slew of complications with uh, spells provoking because then you have, you know, the counter to that is casting defensively. And then there's, a whole slew of other things you gotta do there's we're not gonna worry cases,
1: about it there's a lot of cases for reactions since we're there now um so uh, the types of actions we mentioned earlier there's bonus and reaction um reaction can trigger depending on um like your class or your spell features mm-hmm. uh it'll say that you can use it as a reaction to x so I think there's um, there's a shield spell that you can use as a reaction if you're going to be hit with with an attack that would um, that, that's confirmed hit. Okay. Uh It gives you a plus two to AC. So you could use your reaction action. <laughs> you can use your reaction to cast the spell shield to give you yourself a plus two AC. Uh, there's other instances and classes that I can't pull off the top of my head, uh, but they specify when this happens you can use your reaction. Uh, the other, other reaction, um, a type of, oh my gosh. So a type of action you can take is called the ready action. (laughs) And so essentially you ready your, oh, this, I don't know if this is gonna make any sense to anyone, you ready your action, um, Mm -hmm. by specifying what you're waiting for the trigger to be,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, And then later when it triggers, you use your reaction to take your to then take your action. So a lot of the times I see this happen at the beginning of combat where um, technically we've rolled initiative, but maybe my character doesn't know that there's a conflict yet. Or uh, we're, they, they're they starting to get hostile, but I I and my bleeding heart don't want to hit them until I get hit. Like, I, I still think that there's something salvageable in the situation. So in that instance, if I like roll high on initiative, I'll say, I hold my action until I see someone get punched. Or <laughs> um, a healer would say, I hold my action until someone needs healing. In which case, um, initiative continues. People take their turns as normal. But if the situation that would trigger your ready you would then use your reaction to take your action as normal
0: yeah so you're essentially like if you were thinking of actions on a point basis you're essentially reserving that point for when it is time to utilize it
1: yep uh it gets a little funky for spells because you so if you were to cast you can only cast a spell with the ready action for the reaction uh, if it's a concentration spell (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I didn't real. I've never played with these rules because the situation is so specific. Um,
0: yeah. But
1: essentially you cast the spell on your turn, um, but you don't release the energy to have the spell effect until your reaction takes place, which is why it requires concentration. And then in the meantime, if you get punched or something and breaks your react- or breaks your concentration, breaks your
0: concentration then you it. lose then that you spell. Lose you can-
1: Yep. Gotcha.
0: No, that makes a ton of sense, especially if you're looking at like. Oh, okay. So in the case of range spellcasting, you say, okay, well, I'm going to hold on to this spell until someone moves into my range and then I'll use my action for that. But if somebody say they essentially move directly in with you, right? Line of sight. Um, Yeah. They move right into you and come into your melee, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So then you either are going to, they're going to hit you And you're going to lose the concentration if you can't keep it, or uh, you're going to be able to utilize that action because the reaction you're looking for is there. It gets a little complicated, definitely, Katie, um, when you're readying. I'm not going to lie, as a player, I try really hard instead of readying um, to find something to do on my turn uh, because I get really... I've ADHD. I already have a hard enough time concentrating. I'm never gonna remember four turns from now. I'm gonna be like, "Oh snap, that should have gone off when the goblin did the t- did the like
1: pirouette." Oh, that's that's entirely fair. You need it to be your turn for you to like cash out what your character would do. Most yep. of the time, I see ready as a narrative thing, gotcha. um, where like we're in combat, but we're not like we're not dungeon delving and killing monsters. Uh, okay. negotiation went awry. And the, the enemy's not happy with us, but we our desired outcome isn't combat. Uh, so maybe the characters aren't willing to start unless someone else actually starts it or, um, yeah, or like, Hey, I'm the fighter. And like, I, I can't get to them until like lower a drawbridge or something. I guess that's not really narrative, but like I've, I've seen most of the time it used when a player says um I know combat has started but it's not started for me until this happens okay that makes sense we've mentioned concentration a couple times now uh concentration is the certain spell types that require you to concentrate to keep the effects active so either you cast it and then it's an ongoing effect so you have to take up some of your mind to keep it active um or as we mentioned earlier you have to ready it in order to release it when you uh when you use your reaction uh in both of those cases you're still taking up part of your mind um focusing on the spell which is the the point you're concentrating on it uh so the downside to that is something can break your concentration and fuck you up uh so that happens when you take damage um and also some other exceptions so uh if you take damage while you're concentrating on a spell uh you have to make a dc 10 saving throw a dc 10 constitution saving throw to in order to maintain concentration of the spell that
0: makes sense like can your body physically withstand it enough that your mind is not distracted
1: yeah i didn't realize it had been con because it's been a while since i've been punched (laughs) you tend to stay out of battle if you've got spells but it does make sense and i think it's a balancing thing too because most of most of the time spellcasters have weak constitutions but like a DC 10 isn't very high. So it's, I, I think, yeah.
0: yeah, it's a good I mean, way on balance it. On a, straight, on a straight D20, the flat check, you got 50, 50%. Yep. And then minus That's two, because I've in. got an eight in con. <laughs> That's right, because constitution's a dump stat. You can fight me on the co- in that in the comments. Because I had constitution on the character that died and she still
1: died. Amanda's like, constitution is a con. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Just give me the, the, just, just give me the Tome of
0: Bodily Health. Yeah, I know it's like a hundred thousand gold. I don't care. I have a character that learned to read for that. The whole party taught her how to read so that I could learn to read the Tome of Bodily Health and have some health.
1: And make it into the triple digits. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've got this wizard character I want to play that's just this little old lady. like her her husband died, and so she found a, a book on how to cast spells. and she's like, all right, I guess I'm a wizard now. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> and then every town she's got like a, like a niece or like a, a second cousin <laughs> using the, I want to say, the guild background. But um, for that character, she has no con because she's this frail old lady. <laughs> Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. In my head, she uses like mage hand to, like as a cane that like helps her up stairs or something. It's real cute.
0: I love that, and like I love that it's her later career, right?
1: Like it's her later
0: occupation. She's, She's like, I'm, like, I'm an empty
1: nester. My husband's d- done and gone. I don't want to be, be in a this salacious like,
0: house. spellcaster. <laughs>
1: cantrips in you and it's just like whatever the wizard spell book is called I love it I've never played a wizard I'm excited so <laughs> so there's the other actions you can take on your turn this, the second half of this episode has not been very linear
0: Listen, time, time is a con- a concept we made up. Linear, <laughs> lineality, we made it up. Pandemic really think? messed
1: up my sense of time. Someone will ask me how long it's been and I'm like, I, I, I will respond in the workplace. I have no concept of time anymore.
0: <laughs> the amount of things that someone will be like, oh yeah, when did that happened? And I'm like, last year. And then I'm like, oh no, no, there was two years in between since that's <laughs> happened because they're like dead time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's the other
1: actions. <laughs> uh so we talked about spells, attacking, um a disengage we mentioned earlier that's when you uh you use that so you don't provoke an attack of opportunity. Yep. Um dodge, so that gives enemies disadvantage on attacks against you. So mm-hmm. uh you have to use your action, but you're more dodgy yeah. Um especially if you're trying to get from like one point of the map to another. Well, in that case you'd want to use dash. True. <laughs> so Drew. The, the dash action lets you turn your action into a movement. So yeah. you can use your your movement whatever your character speed is. A uh, mm-hmm. dash lets you use your movement again.
0: Yeah. I guess what I meant like is like if you're moving through a large space of melee like several like pairings, I would imagine you would want to dodge to get to where you're going cuz you're going to be moving in and out of folks right and dodge doesn't provoke or does it
1: D- dodge will provoke uh people oh, just have disadvantage never mind.
0: I want to say yeah i i it seems to me similar to be like in uh, like uh other systems like um
1: uh, taking a 5 foot step disengage uh your movement doesn't provoke attack up opportunities for the rest of the turn they just simplified it Nice, nice. I know and like, in, like in, in your you could argue that like you're moving in and out of different combats and the idea yeah. of disengaging is like you're disengaging the person you're facing but fifth ed was just like fuck it you don't you don't provoke attacks of opportunity need that. forget that noise <laughs> it's all good uh help action uh that so the idea is if you're helping someone especially like with skill checks um instead of like everyone just rolling a bunch of checks you by helping the other person give them advantage on their role. Uh, there's mm-hmm. certain situations in combat that you'd want to help. Um, like if you're like either trying to interact with, um, like the environment or if they're trying to like, they're struggling with whatever, uh, saving throw they've got, I don't think saving throws count ability checks.
0: Or like, I can imagine like a situation as a spellcaster where you just can't, there's nothing you can feasibly do. So it's better to use your action to aid another than Mm -hmm. it is to try and make something work because like maybe you've only got aoe spells left and the battles really concentrated slots or you're out of
1: spell slots you and i talked during the skills episode that unlike you i saw a lot more use of skill checks in combat whether you're trying to solve a puzzle in parallel or trying to lower a drawbridge and that's a good use for the help action Right, instead of everyone trying to make a bunch of checks you can just give someone advantage on theirs and that's slick when someone has a higher modifier than you so say you're trying to solve this puzzle and it's an intelligence check and like the wizard's up there like sliding these bricks around trying to figure out how to solve it and and you and you're like your 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 barbarian hulkiness who cannot reach the battle because it's all ranged <laughs> you want to help but you don't have a brain cell to do it you can use help action
0: exactly like i'm sorry i am dedicated to being a himbo let me (laughs) let me give you help
1: (laughs) help the himbo action (laughs) yes help is the himbo action uh you can hide uh which allows you to fuck i don't ever use hide (laughs)
0: when i was when i was researching it what i what i determined was it was essentially an action that let you make a stealth check
1: yeah but the stealth check gives you uh unseen so it makes you unseen okay just just cast greater invisibility you'll be fine uh you can use the hide action which allows you to make a stealth check to essentially become unseen from the combat uh makes it harder for people to target you uh you can search
0: that one's for you
1: (laughs) rogues get a bunch of benefits from that um you can search which is just like a perception check if you're trying to find uh the little nugget to put in the puzzle or you're trying to spot someone's dagger the the, the mcguffin that got lost in combat you would use the search action and then when you locate the macguffin, you can use your action to use an object, an object. <laughs> that also counts for like drink uh, quaffing potions or like using scrolls So use use an object is useful uh, if you need to interact with, like, multiple objects. Again, it's up to your DM discretion whether it's worth using your action or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, if you're trying to fumble with something while attacking, that might be okay. But if it's going to require any sort of, like, mental, like... It's one thing to pick up a rock, but it's another to, like, solve a Rubik's Cube. You know what I mean? And so it's really up to the GM whether he thinks, they think it's... um, requires an action action or not yeah
0: yeah i had a a, a situation where like poisonous noxious gas was coming in the room and so they were having to use a full action to shut the vent because it was essentially as much as it would take for them to make an attack in my opinion to be able to
1: shut these rusty vents that makes sense and that's a good way to like interact with the environment and give not uh, people a non-combat way to influence combat
0: yeah, because I mean they were taking some serious status penalties because of the the, the noxious fumes. Uh, they actually ended up burning the building down in the end, which was uh-huh. fine because it ended up it, it it meant I didn't have to go through the work of doing the battle and being the BBEG because they cast a fire spell and it went up into the the the, the space and the BBEG was gonna it, it's an adventure path so I didn't write this <laughs> for the record. It was in the adventure path that he was gonna try and light the room on fire anyway, and I was like, "All right." So realistically, he's already laid the gas all over the place, and he could just cast his fire breath into the vent full of flammable, poisonous gas, <laughs> and the vents are connected. Ergo, <laughs> like you know how fire and uh, fire eats oxygen, and it just goes, just goes, right? And
1: I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm, it tracks." <laughs> <laughs> so they, I love of- it when DMs will reward players. Be like, I guess this is gonna happen. Yeah. I um. I played a game. Oh my gosh, what setting was it? Apocalypse Prevention Inc. I want to say it was uh, a homebrew. Not, not yeah, it was a homebrew campaign. Um, and I don't remember the specifics um but it was a lot of intrigue so we were trying to like figure out what's going on someone's doing a bad thing and like it was all cum cumula- cumulating it was all building up to this moment where like um the big bad evil guy was going to invade and like take down the castle right um but we had figured out m- and resolved most of the aspects of that plot um, yeah. And we didn't know this at the time. We just were getting ready for the invasion, and the big bad evil guy walks in by herself and not super strong. And so we like we we had a conversation with the DM afterwards. We we're like that felt a little anticlimactic, and the DM's like that's because you fucked up everything she had planned. <laughs> <laughs> went down a list of like seven or eight bad things that were supposed to happen that we managed to like find and resolve before the, like it was, so it was supposed to take place, um, during, uh, the black plague. And so one of the big things she was using was she, uh, was controlling like swarms of, of rats. And so they were going to invade the castle and like just spread this plague. Right. Um, but apparently like we had put together that she had rats, and so my character learned how to talk to animals and talk to all the palace mice, and we're like, hey, there might be some bad mice coming in soon. If you help us patch up all the holes, we'll bribe you with cheese. And so we <laughs> sealed up all the hidden rat entrance. <laughs> it's incredible. But like at the time we were just like, why is this fight so anticlimactic? And it's because we had done so much building up to it that Mm -hmm. dismantled the boss fight. Yeah, your DM's (laughs) just like It felt at the time it was a little like like weird, Weird. like anti- But in post, oh my gosh, it felt it felt great. So good. And it was like and it was a good peak for an intrigue campaign because, like, I mean, it's still it's still role playing. You still want to fight a big bad evil guy, but knowing that we use subterfuge <laughs> to resolve most of the issues was a really cool feeling.
0: Right? That no, that sounds incredible. I love that. I love when stuff again. It's it's like similar situations. I love when that happened because, like, <laughs> to be honest, I was like, Nah, y'all lit the building on fire. He he's probably dead. Well, and you he's have He's
1: gone. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, I think the only item we didn't talk about is movement. We mentioned it briefly earlier during the dash action, Um, but depending on what your race is and sometimes your class, you'll have a certain distance for what your movement is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the time it's 30 feet, but I've seen 20 and I've seen 60. (laughs) Uh, So you can- uh, 60, I think there's like a feat that lets you double it, or maybe that's the effect of fly. It makes you go faster. But I've okay. seen a turn be able to go 60 feet. No, um, I
0: believe it. i my, my magus can do 50 as a baseline
1: <laughs> speed. That's impressive. Uh, so you can take your distance for like, so your movement speed is that distance in a turn. So you can move 30 feet in six seconds. So that's 30 feet in one turn. Um, like everything else in this game, some exceptions apply <laughs> specifically difficult terrain. Um, so this is sometimes DM discretion, sometimes the effect of spells, um, but the, the, the battlefield, if it's determined to have difficult terrain, whether that means like there's rocks everywhere or, or it's there's icy, pit, or it's icy, there's something that makes movement more challenging. Uh, the rule is that each foot of distance requires an extra foot of movement. Um, Katie, that's weird. Why not just say it costs two times as much? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Um, if you're ever knocked prone, um, movement while crawling costs one extra foot of movement per one foot of distance. Uh, so the the calculation becomes easier to be like, okay, if it's difficult terrain and I'm crawling, um, this square takes three, not four, which would happen if you were multiplying
0: exactly yeah i made that same note around prone and i
1: was like oh okay okay Okay." i read through and i was like plus one that's dumb and then i read prone and i was like oh and there it is it's because they don't multiply but they stack (laughs) yes you can tell there was probably like a big argument in the wizard's boardroom where they're like how the fuck do we define movement (laughs) It like gets so
0: complicated though sometimes because like, <laughs> no, we, we have this big battle, this big, it's like getting towards the end of a campaign and we're playing Fist of the Ruby Phoenix and second
1: edition Pathfinder, but I gonna, promise this. Not going to lie. Every time I hear it, I hear fisting the Ruby Phoenix.
0: I mean, if she'd let me, no, I'm kidding. My character's ace. Anyways, <laughs> but so my... My GM made a map because the original thing is kind of like, like the tournament of power in dragon ball Z. It's just like a flat, like uh, battleground and that's kind of boring. And so what they did was they divided the battle map into quadrants and then each quadrant had like a special effect. Right. So like the one was all like lava and all sorts of stuff like that. And so we have a, dr- um, not a drow. What's the water elf.
1: Genasi. No, that's the air elf. You can have a water genasi. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. It's not. It's going to drive me uh, nuts. A silky. It's fine. Hold on. A water nymph. Oh, look at it. Up. <laughs> look it
0: up. Undyne. Undyne. Oh, I wasn't
1: going to get that. <laughs> well, I know they have them in 5th edition. No, they do. gonna guess it (laughs) because every time i hear it i think undying (laughs) yeah
0: well okay so so we we have an undying and she wouldn't go into that quadrant because for her like it was detrimental lava Mm. fire negative captain planet Mm. however there was a hole in the in the ice quadrant and the amount of folks that she dragged into that hole because she can breathe underwater chef's kiss absolutely it didn't cause them a lot of damage because the you know the checks whatever what have you but it did cost them actions Mm. and and the way that when you're when you're in battle causing an enemy to lose action economy is one of the most effective ways to continue winning the battle when you can't deal damage
1: i don't know if i'd agree with that in fifth edition yeah because if i'm giving up my turn to make you give up your turn we're not really netting anything well
0: here's my opinion on why i think that i'm i might be uh, onto something is because if you have nothing else left right there's nothing you can do to deal damage but you can pin or in some way shape or form take this uh take your opponent and remove their economy and then also in a lot of situations that makes them vulnerable, then another teammate who might be able to do damage can direct themselves towards that situation.
1: All right. Um, but that's assuming that I and my character am competent enough in eliminating my enemy's action economy. And Which I is fair. And I don't see that, that happen a lot in 5th ed without like not a specific build for it, but like you need a spell for it or you need to design your monk with that intent. If I'm just gotcha. like out of spell slots, I'm not my my frail ass body isn't going to be able to stop the enemy barbarian. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just... You it just. Fuck it. YOLO. <laughs> YOLO.
0: YOLO until you. He- exactly yolo until your dm casts meteor swarm <laughs> for the first time in his history uh... But all right katie so we've got through the actions we got through the reactions we got through the movement do
1: you want to talk about cover uh sure this was something that you were really interested in i don't play with cover typically um and as i was reading the the rereading the directions and the directions so it's rereading the player's handbook. Um, at like everything in fifth edition, it's just simplified. Uh, there's three types of cover half cow, half cow, <laughs> half cow, drought cow. Like everything else in fifth edition, they, uh, they simplified it, which I think is good. Um, there's three types of cover half cover three quarter cover and total cover and the idea is like just proportional to your character how much of you was hidden or blocked from line of sight uh half cover gives a plus two to a uh, plus two bonus to ac and dexterity throw saving throws mm-hmm. uh three quarters gives a plus five uh and total cover like if you use your hide action uh means that you cannot be targeted with an or a spell some exceptions may apply
0: yeah. Um, I guess like for me, we play a lot of campaigns and because we use maps a lot, I justify cover as much as I possibly can in the hopes of reducing the <laughs> in the hopes of boosting so in the hopes of the if them having a fifty having to roll the percentile die for that fifty percent missed chance, I will always try and justify cover. Um Cause once again, if I can make it so that there's one more thing between them and hitting me, I want to, especially as somebody who's, uh, got spell casters near and dear to my heart, I try real hard not to take damage. Cause I can't take a lot of it.
1: <laughs> no, in hindsight, maybe this is something I should be asking the DM for say, Oh, I jumped behind this log to give me some, can that give me cover? Um, yeah. but I've not, I've just not seen other players do it and I've not seen DMs initiate that either. Um, but given how like squishy everyone can be i'm surprised we don't use it more i think it goes back to the theater of the mind thing yeah but like i know i've got aphantasia but i can i could if i'm in a forest i know there's trees i can be behind <laughs> i have adhd
0: so my object permanence is not good i need a, i need the eyes these occipitals
1: <laughs> i need them i gotta see it if i don't see it it's not there that's valid definitely having having a map and having stuff like physical stuff on the map i could definitely see that giving more inclined to using cover and 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 as you said before pathfinders got better cover or like more robust cover rules more comp
0: crunchy crunchier rules (laughs) which is the theme it's okay i know i know But yeah i was just i I do like how fifth edition did simplify the mechanic i like that there's three variances it's very simple um and it makes it it makes it easy for you as a character to justify based on how much of your body's physically covered what instance you're in when you're asking your gm right Mm. so i liked it you think we should talk about what happens in the case that
1: you might die we should cover hit points yeah that's right health so we're all swinging and firing spells but how do we like measure the impact that that has your hit points so uh your character's hit points are based on uh your constitution modifier uh and i want to say your class there's a calculation that's put that i don't have in front of me right now so we're just gonna pretend like we know it um it goes up based off your level so that that gets added in there too higher levels yeah. get more hit points lower levels have less I hit points That makes sense the longer you're alive the better at you get at it yeah it makes sense uh so as you're taking hits you're going to reduce your hit points accordingly uh yeah, if you just hit- like most systems in gaming <laughs> <laughs> feels real weird to explain this uh if you hit zero you go down you don't die instantaneously uh unless you take like double your health um Mm -hmm. you are considered downed and you have to start making um saving throws death saving throws so you don't always uh, you go down you don't necessarily die uh the exception to that rule is if you take um after you hit zero the remaining damage you haven't tallied if that is equal to or greater than your max hit point or your maximum yeah, your possible f- hit points and in much. which case it, it's it's instant death you just get punched so incredibly hard that there's no saving you
0: yeah yeah you get hit with a swarm of meteors <laughs> so one of my favorite things about death saving throws and it's something that they they added into second edition of pathfinder and you can definitely see where the inspiration was from is just the flat dc so essentially In that situation, you roll your d20 and anything that's a 10 or higher is considered success, right? So, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, you get multiple turns, um, for your death saving throw to continue your different stages of dying, right? You keep rolling until
1: you get up or you die. Yep, pretty much. So, or you you, get stabilized.
0: Yeah, essentially until you stabilize. So when it comes to making your saves. Um, You essentially either get, you either make three passes or three failures, Uh, obviously three passes is stabilization, three failures is death, however, they don't have to be consecutive, Um, so obviously when you're making your throw, your saving throws, you want to be mindful of the tally on which side uh to ensure obviously accuracy and also hopefully to ensure that you live it builds the um, suspension
1: too when it's on your turn and you're like oh i got a, I got a pass that you I get around pass. next turn you're like oh i failed yes right like do you
0: have inspiration points can i have one
1: <laughs> uh something else to note here um if you roll a 20 on your d20 roll that counts as two passes And if you roll a one, it counts as two failures. (laughs) failures. And it's very stressful.
0: (laughs) You better get your best dice out for that saving throw. Go get your your GM dice. dice. (laughs) But one of the things I thought was really interesting was, um, and I know we're going to get to this in a second. Actually, one of the things i think is really interesting that we should probably address as well is you know the idea of hit dice and temporary hit points now temporary hit points are granted by you know your mat a magic or a class feature but if you're at zero health points right and you have um received temporary hp by some sort of area of effect um the points don't restore you but if there is damage directed at you they will absorb it before putting you back into below your zero and throws again so, yeah, so if I just you thought take that was damage interesting.
1: while you're rolling death saving throws it counts as an additional failure um so in Amanda's case if you have temp HP it'll sponge that damage so it doesn't count as another <laughs> death saving throw or failure of a death saving throw. Um, yeah. In most games I've played DMs stop targeting people when they go down uh which Same. rules is written you don't have to but it kind of feels like it's adding insult to injury right someone's already dying most of the time dms don't want your character to die no. yeah I, there might be like a plot reason or if it's a big bad evil guy but for the most I I I can't remember a time where someone went down and someone kept trying to wail on him I mean the exception that is like if they're in a burning building or something right you need to be mindful yeah. that they might be taking damage from a non-enemy combatant but yeah, exactly. And like again, I just thought it was interesting that
0: like for a system that really, really appreciates simplicity, I enjoyed the very specific that that specificity there. Yeah, and that, yeah. You know, notating like, oh, if your buddy pass- casts some sort of AOE heal spell and you got a little bit of temp HP, you get to use that temp HP. It's not gonna bring you back up unless they direct it at you. But Under normal good.
1: circumstances temporary HP or temporary hit points is, um, a non it's, it's hit points that aren't tied to your hit point pool. Uh, you can exceed your maximum number of hit points. And essentially you've got like some magical health attached to you and it, it and it it's not permanent it expires that's why it's called temporary it expires whenever the spell is up or whenever it gets used but if you get punched it'll eat up your temporary hit points first yeah uh, so it's a nice way to like buff yourself before you're going into combat or if you're out of normal healing and you're coming in clutch here's some little bit of temporary hit points to kind of help sponge some
0: exactly or you know if a, if somebody yeets your character's dead body into the rocks to get it out of the way and the dm wants to be particular that wasn't the case but could have been <laughs> i did move six feet i was thrown six feet off the battlefield but anyways um so i thought that was interesting uh and then i know our last and final item for battle is grappling and prone uh, I have feelings because most of the systems I work in have what's called like uh, combat maneuvers. Uh, but fifth edition for.
1: Uh, really what dumbs it, does, it down. <laughs> oh, very simple. Very even simple. like past fifth. Bath, uh, even for like past editions of Dungeons and Dragons, like they really. I was surprised. They really dumbed it down. Yeah. I, you know,
0: it. I just. I've played and I've seen people play characters that are built around combat maneuvers and how cool that can be it's complex but it's very cool very fun we that same character that's the Undine. she is. Uh, essentially built around combat maneuvers and tricks and things like that and panache uh, and so. Her ability to grapple and then disarm people has come in clutch so many times because of the additional bonuses from being grappled, the combat maneuver checks. She's the character itself is built around that. Um, and so it's really, it's really fun. I can see why you wouldn't want to add that in in a system that you're trying to get wide
1: combat effects like being prone and being grappled was the thing that like flustered me the most about 3.5 because in, on top of all of the ways you fight and all of the ways you could take damage, now there's all these different effects you can have and the rules are different and how you break out of them is different. And I don't know them. I have to look them up every time. Like on top, like just adding insult to injury, on top of my character being fucked, now I have to read the rule book. <laughs> No, but. So I I get why it's cool and I'd love to revisit it now that I'm a more experienced player. But I also like, they just, oh my gosh. Yeah, but if your character gets (laughs) swallowed, how do you deal with that? The GM just makes something up. It's a DC um, 20 con check or a DC 15 strength check. To either resist being swallowed or physically pull yourself out of the mouth. A skill check same or saving throw i like it i swallowed okay i had a, i swallowed a character once is that why you're sad because you're like i swallowed someone and i was wasn't acknowledging it
0: no it was great because she got out of it two turns later or i had a okay this is one of my favorite battles i've ever done because we had a treasure golem and one of the things that treasure golems can do is they can be a physical um No, in in the situation, they can be like a bipedal, like two legs, two arms, kind of like creature, or they can spread out like humanoid. Humanoid. That's the (laughs) one. I knew. Anyway, you were
1: like bipedal.
0: (laughs) I was thinking of the the um. Never mind. We're not going into eidolons. We'll do that in Pathfinder. Um. But anyways, like they can be humanoid or they can be like that that treasure, right? And so the the party their mission was to figure out who was stealing the treasure, right? So my my partner's character hears this rumbling inside the treasure chest, goes to open it up and gets swallowed by the treasure golem. I love it. Yeah,
1: because the treasure what a great was stealing way to itself. Go.
0: Just like Scrooge McDuck, (laughs) like a reverse Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I felt bad because his CM, his combat abilities were not high enough to break him out. They had to team break him out and he spent a lot of rounds just being like, and I failed the check and that sucks. But when they did get him out, it was great. They pulled him from the clutches of all of this stuff. And then they just like,
1: it's never a fun fight, but it's always a great story. Yeah, right. So
0: it, it was, it was interesting as a dynamic you wouldn't get to do here. I get that it's complicated, but
1: it was fun. So fifth edition grappling, uh, you make an attack action, like, but instead of punching you grapple, um, mm-hmm. as long as the target isn't larger than like one size larger than you are and they're within range. And you've got a free hand to actually grab them you're not like holding too much shit uh you make um as long as you're not holding too much shit you uh, make a grapple check instead of an attack roll which is Mm -hmm. a strength an athletic skill check um contested by their either athletics or acrobatics they get to choose yeah
0: and uh, the rules would just be so much crisper though like you just you just have your cmb and you roll your d20 you add your modifier so that's if you're making the grapple it's your cmb b for battles how i remember it uh it's not it's not what it means it means bonus CMB. yes it's combat maneuver bonus Mm. but i think b for battle because you're attacking it's all
1: pathfinder shit
0: (laughs) yeah versus your cmd for defense right I'm already overwhelmed. <laughs> I know, but it's like once it's done, it's on the sheet. It's not like after you've built your character sheet, you're just like, oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm rolling to defend myself. Cool, done. Or I'm rolling to do this. Do cool, done. And like you don't have to worry about opposed checks. I don't know. I think it's a personal thing. There's a better I like way to better. do it.
1: I'm not saying fifth edition does it well, fifth edition does it cleaner than older editions, but not, but they don't have an emphasis on that sort of attack style. Yeah. And then I guess if they wanted to make a class that was good at like uh, movement, mobile combat mobility, um, they just build it into like class features. They wouldn't make these special rules for it. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to escape a grapple, you make your strength check or, or uh, excuse me, your athletics, or your acrobatics check each turn that your action is to try to escape. Uh, and if you've got someone grappled, you can try to move with them, but your movements have. You can drag them. <laughs> well, that's why a
0: player would I want to, right? It. You're coming yeah. with me. Oh, bud, we got places to go. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: other the other funky style of attack is the shove a, car- uh, shove a creature. Um, you use your action to essentially knock them prone. And then if they're prone, they are fall over. They've got to use half their movement to stand up or they can crawl.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep. So Katie, okay, I think I know this episode's been pretty meaty, but I think we have gotten to the end of the stake. <laughs> <laughs> you so, know, I
1: I've I've gone back and forth over whether I enjoy combat or not um because I've played characters that don't cuz a lot of times it's up to your dice whether you contribute anything um especially early on yep smaller less smaller younger levels (laughs) you don't get to to do as much you just roll your dice and hope you contribute and then you've got to wait till the initiative order comes back around to you but i've also seen it being a be a catalyst for like really good storytelling or really fulfilling moments right where um you get to like table the role playing and it's just you and the enemy in the heat of battle and you like really get to engage and i've seen it done really narratively beautifully um and i've had i've had fun doing it um but it you want to have enough understanding of the rules to keep the gameplay moving forward so you don't have to stop and read the player's handbook every two seconds which i mean if you have to you have to and don't let that be a deterrent to you but the more fluent you get at it the more fluid the com the combat gets
0: agreed um i know we're coming to a close Uh, I think that if I had any final thoughts, um, I was on one of the subreddits and um, I was seeing a post on people's opinions on making sure before your first game that you've read the PHB, whole thing, front to back. And I'm not saying you have to.
1: No one needs to know how much a horse costs before their first game.
0: (laughs) When it comes to actions and economy, I would highly recommend for your enjoyment of the game, if everybody comes knowing that how to, at least the basics of combat, look it over. You don't need to be me, right? You don't have to write yourself a study guide, but if you peruse the book, make sure that you've got a good idea of how it works. You're going to have a lot more fun. And instead of getting to your first battle and being like, wait, what action can I do? Or even worse? Oh, well, I'm going to move over here. Oh, well, you just left someone's threatened zone and uh, they're going to attack you now.
1: If you've got nice players at the table, they'll help you out, but it definitely will make you feel more confident when you go in.
0: Yeah, it's nice knowing what you're doing, man. (laughs) When you go in there and you're like, the DM's like, I'm going to do this. And then you're like, no, you're not because (laughs) class feature. And the DM's like... When the monk catches sponge. the arrow. Oh, Ugh, <laughs> the
1: yes. <best. laughs> but you have to know that you can catch the arrow. So, but, Don't let it know. intimidate you. Read the handbook. No. Read your character it's sheet. Fun. Yep, uh, tell your friends. Over. You're fine. We believe and in listen you. listen to spell slots. Listen to subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe. Ding. So, ding. And with that,
0: Katie. See you next time. Bye-bye.